Good morning. Welcome to North Gainesville Baptist Church. Please stand and take your hymnal and turn to 137. Joy to the world, number 137. We'll sing all four verses. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let us to the world the Lord has come Merry Christmas it's good to be here on this Christmas Eve in God's house let us begin with a word of prayer gracious Heavenly Father we are grateful to be in your house on this Lord's Day as we prepare even on tomorrow to remember the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ what a holy happy day it is for us who know you for the redeemed who long for your not just your first coming but your second coming that could be even today I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, be, be desiring to see you more than any gift that is temporal, to see your face and be in fellowship perfectly with you. I pray that for be one in this room who does not know Jesus Christ, our personal Savior, that, dear Father, you would draw that one to yourself before it is too late, for there will be a day when it will be too late. Bless today, and may Jesus Christ be praised. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you on this Christmas Eve. Hope you're doing well. And uh, so glad we can be in God's house this morning. To remind you a couple things, don't forget, forget tonight, we'll have a special service since it's Christmas Eve. We'll have our Christmas Eve candlelight, Christmas Eve service. Uh, this morning we'll have one selection from our cantata. Tonight we'll have two selections from our cantata. So I hope you will join us tonight for, at 6 o'clock. We should be done right about 7 o'clock, so it will take about a, an hour. But I think it's appropriate that we come tonight. And we'll be focusing on the lights of Christmas tonight, so hope you'll come back for tonight. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have a special speaker. Actually, one of our former missionaries, Brother Tracy Ross and his dear wife, will be with us. And he'll be preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night, uh, the January the 7th. We have a special speaker, Dr. Bill Rice III. 
He, uh, he has come here the last three years, and he asked if he could come back again. And so he'll be with us on that Sunday night. Then uh, January the 12th, uh, ladies, you're, it'll be happy birthday, uh, Phoebe. So I hope you ladies will sign up and join them on the 12th at 6.30 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Let me remind you just a couple of things. Don't forget the Christmas cards in the back. Now remember, they go alphabetically ordered by your last name, by your last name, not your first name. I know sometimes in a group of over 100 folks, we forget people's last names, but everything goes in by the last name. So you can look for those cards for your family by your last name. Also, don't forget to mark your Bible reading. We will have a Bible reading uh, party for everyone who finishes your Bible in the end of January. And also, don't forget the tithing envelopes 2024 on the back. Also, I want to announce our next big event, which is our uh, evangelistic revival by a family called the Frazier family. Jeremy Frazier and his wife and kids will be coming in January, January the 14th through the 17th, I believe. They'll be coming with the family and also some college kids. They'll be singing and preaching and looking forward to a wonderful revival that's going to start January the 14th. Brother Keith. All right. Choir's going to sing, Oh, magnify the Lord. turn to 135. 
135. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We'll sing all four verses.
All right, as you're making your way back to your seats, take your hymnal and turn to 140, 140, the first Noel. We sing the first, second, and last verse. Number 140, first, second, and last. The first Noel, the angels did say, was to certain poor shepherds in fields as they pray for our tithes and offerings. Amen.
What to preach on Christmas Eve? There's so many things. In the past, I've preached on the life of Mary, on Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, Herod the king. So many topics, so many opportunities. But this morning, Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. And Judas begot Perez and Zerah of Thamar. Phares begot Ezram, and Ezram begot Aram. And Aram begot Amnibadab, and Dinabab begot Nason, and Nason begot Salmon. And Salmon begot Boaz, a Rechab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Solomon begot Robam, and Robam begot Iba, and Iba begot Asa, and Asa begot Josaphat, and Josaphat begot Joram, and Joram begot Ozas, and Ozas begot Jotham, and Jotham begot Azaz, and Achaz begot Azikas, and Azikas begot Manassas, and Manassas begot Ammon, and Ammon begot Josias. And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salath, and Salath begat Zorabel. And Zorabel begat Ababud, and Ababud begat Elikim, and Elikim begat Azor. Now, if I mispronounced some of these names, y'all forgive me. I had public school education, so... And Eliad begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Methan, and Methan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David unto carrying away into the Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your powerful, precious word. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for this wonderful lineage, the perfect pedigree of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that it is perfect. It was planned, it was promised, and it is perfect. And it is for each one of us to understand and to know. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak through your precious word and thy Holy Spirit to help us draw closer to you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. One of the fastest growing internet searches are those dealing with genealogical research. I read this week that millions of people are researching their family tree through a vast network of sites. How many of you have done any research into your family tree? How many of you have done any research? Well, that's good, Some, several of you. 78% of Americans say they're interested in learning more about their family history. 50% of Americans 
families have researched their roots and become one of the leading hobbies of today. Estimates put the number of visitors to genealogy research engines and sites a staggering of 88 million per month. However, it's highly usual, unusual to expect any of these 88 million to care about any other family except their own. Makes sense, right? Why would you look into the history of someone else who's not related to you? Or maybe it's just interesting that you do that. I read about one woman by the name of Judy Wallman, a professional genealogy researcher in Southern California, who was doing some personal work in her own family tree when she was discovering the life of one senator. Remember, I don't know if you remember Senator Harry Reid. Her, his great-great-uncle, Remus Reed, was hanged for robbing trains in Montana in the 1880s. She even found a photograph uh, of Remus standing there surrounded by officials. He's on a makeshift wooden gallows standing on top of that trap door that eventually would open and he would be suspended by a rope. On the back of the picture obtained during the research was the actual inscription, Remus Reed, horse thief, sent to prison in 1883 but escaped and went on to rob the Montana Railroad six times. He was eventually caught in 1887 by the Pinkerton Detective Agency, and he was convicted and hanged, and the entire town showed up to watch. So what did Judy do? Well, mischievously, she emailed the photograph to the office of Senator Harry Reid, of Remus Reid, on that wooden platform about to be hung, you know, to show the senator one of his forefathers. And uh, Harry Reid's staff sent back the following statement, having a little fun of their own. This was their response. Remus Reid was a famous cowboy in the Montana Territory. He had several businesses dealing with the Montana Railroad. In 1887, he was a key player in the investigation by the Pinkerton Detective Agency. In 1889, Remus passed away during an important civil function. Held in his honor when the platform upon which he was standing suddenly collapsed. Man, those politicians have a way of twisting things, don't they? But today, I want to focus on another genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I realize I need lists. I need lists. A list of what to do, a list of where to find things, a list of maybe what not to do. But when it comes to a list of names, it is kind of our habit to skip over the list, right? If you start your Bible reading in Matthew, you might start with Abraham and Isaac and you know Jacob. But when it gets past about Judas and Ferris, you may say skip and go all the way down to verse 17. And that is a normal thing when we come to lists of names. And there's lists of names throughout the Bible. It's easy to look past there. But I believe every name and every word in the Bible is there for a reason and a purpose. Now, we might not always understand it, and that's naturally so. But as you dig into this list, we'll find some very important things about this list. Look at verse 1 again. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so you start to think to yourself, where is this going? Well, one of the famous uh, historians, Jewish historians by the name of Josephus, in his biography, he began his pedigree with a list. The Jewish priest in the nation needed to be able to, to produce an authentic pedigree stretching back to Aaron. And even his wife, if he married, had to publicly produce her pedigree for at least five generations back. We've been studying the book of Ezra on Wednesday night. And it's interesting to note when Ezra returned from exile 
for over 70 years and rebuilt the worship system of sacrifice to God, several families would apply to be priests but were denied because they did not have the right pedigree in validating their credentials. So as you enter to this geological record of Jesus Christ, you need to know there's several critical reasons why this is provided. I want to give you just three this, this morning, three reasons for this genealogical record of Jesus Christ. As we see in verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. First of all, why do we have this record? First of all, to validate the pedigree of Jesus the Messiah. To validate the pedigree of Jesus the Messiah. For every Jewish reader, especially a Jewish leader, this opening line of the book of generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, would cause them to suck back breath in amazement at the fact that Jesus was connected to David and Abraham. Abraham, of course, which started the beginning of the Jewish people. And David is second, probably the most well-known person besides Abraham, would be David, one of the greatest kings in all Israel, that Jesus, is, his lineage goes back to him. This genealogy actually given the Jewish nation the name Messiah, the one that would come, the one that would rescue him, his name being Jesus, Yahweh, Yeshua, which meant the one through whom salvation comes. Further, Jesus Christ, here, there's no confusion this is the only one from which they could be saved. And so in essence, Matthew, this, this tax collector, is saying, here's the king. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the legal heir to the throne of Israel. Look at all the records. Evaluate them. Inspect them. The pedigree is in, indisputable. Now, Matthew does... Next, arrange the genealogy in three different categories, and interesting to know that. The first section of Christ's genealogy follows the history of Israel from Abraham all the way to David in verse 6. The second section takes you from David all the way to the captivity of Israel in Babylon and ends in verse 11 with the tragic history reminder of the nation's deportation to Babylon because of their sin. And the third section takes you from the captivity of the birth of Jesus in verse 16, who is ultimately the deliverer. So in verse 17, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations from David to deportation of Babylon, 14 generations from the deportation of Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Interesting enough to note that 14 plus 14 plus 14 equals 42. Why is that number significant? Seven times six equals 42, doesn't it? A perfect number, which is, which is seven, but the number of man, which is six. It takes perfection, which is divinity, and man to make up Jesus Christ. Not seven times seven, but seven times six. So the first and foremost, the genealogy validate the royalty of Jesus Christ, the humble, adopted son of a carpenter, the miracle boy born of a virgin is actually heir to the throne. So we see that this pedigree validates that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. But secondly, secondly, it also served to demonstrate the providence of God. It demonstrates the providence of God. If you look at this Jewish history, which some 1900 years ago, Titus in 70 AD came and destroyed the temple. 
and the temple has not been rebuilt. Now, I went to Israel, and I got to go to a museum. They are, the Jewish people are preparing for a temple to return. They're actively preparing. One of the few places that I could not take pictures when I was in Israel was in that museum. I wonder why. I wonder why. They said, oh, we have this part of the temple and that part of the temple and even the Ark of the Covenant, we know where it is. And I believe they too, they did. But since 70 A.D., the, the city and the, the temple has been destroyed and his has not been rebuilt. But we know, according to prophecy, it will be rebuilt. And ultimately, in the middle of the tribulation, which we spoke about last week, it will be uh, desecrated by the Antichrist himself, that three and a half year period. But because of this destruction, all the genealogical records were destroyed as well by Titus. And to this day, no genealogy exists that can trace the ancestry of any Jew now living back to their tribal roots. No Jew can prove that he's from the priestly royal line. So here's where it gets interesting. Those Jews still looking for the Messiah of the day to come, that Messiah would be unable to establish, establish his lineage back to David because the official records were destroyed. So what is the only official record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ? You hold it in your laps. It's right here. And who wrote it? No better person than a tax collector who loves the details, Levi, Matthew, wrote this genealogy for us to have today, which means that Jesus himself can validate his tribal connections to his royal pedigree because his genealogy escaped the destruction of Israel via the inspiration of the word of God, which you're holding in your hands, which means that Jesus is the last verifiable claim to the throne of David. Interesting enough, and I believe Brother Travis brought this out in his Sunday school class. There's another importance factor to the providence of God found tucked in this genealogy that you may have never even heard of. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. It says, And after, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begot Salath, and Salath begot Zerubbabel. Now who in the world is Jeconiah? Well, Jeconiah was such a wicked king that the Bible records in Jeremiah 22, verse 30, these words. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless. A man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. So no one after the lineage of Jeconiah could be the king or the Messiah. So what in the world do they do? Well, if you compare Matthew's genealogy with Luke's genealogy, they both track back to David, but through different descendants. In Luke, Luke's tracing Mary's natural father, Eli, all the way back to David through another son David had named Nathan. Of course, Matthew traces Jesus' adoptive father all the way back to David through his son, Solomon. And here's where it gets interesting. Everybody awake? Say Merry Christmas. All right, here we go. 
By the providence of God shines so brilliantly, if Jesus had been the natural born of Joseph, he would have been disqualified from David's throne because Joseph was in the bloodline of Jeconiah, and no blood descendant of Jeconiah could rightly claim the throne. But Jesus wasn't a blood descendant of Joseph, was he? No, Jesus was born of a virgin named Mary. And from the Virgin Mary, he received his royal bloodline because she was related to David too. But from his adoptive father, Joseph, Jesus received his legal right to reign. So there was only way for Jesus to circumvent the curse of Jeconiah, be related to an heir of David legally, but yet somehow be related to the royal blood to David, which was required. That's why the perfect match which God knew and he provided for was Joseph and Mary. Joseph and Mary. When God providentially put Joseph and Mary together, he knew he was giving Jesus Christ a bloodline from Mary and the legal line from Joseph so that Jesus could rightfully claim the throne of his ancestors David. His parents' line had converged and give him the royal pedigree, the royal privilege to claim Israel's throne. As we see in verse 15, Eliad begat Azar, and Eliezer begat Matan, and Matan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, which is called the Christ. So the genealogy not only was given to validate the pedigree of Jesus Christ, but secondly, to demonstrate the providence of God, but thirdly this morning, to illustrate the principles of grace. I like grace, how about you? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, if you look at this pedigree pretty carefully, you'll see some great men of God. David is called the man after God's own heart. Solomon, one of the wisest men that ever lived. Hezekiah, who brought a great revival in the lands of Israel. But also, you'll see some... You'll see some wicked people, men like Ahaz and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and Jeconiah, who we just spoke about, and Manasseh. Some of these men were so wicked, they, they sacrificed babies, children, on the altars of false gods. And these men were in the lineage of Jesus Christ. But think about it, folks. If you and I went back a few, a few generations, probably all of us have people we would, might not be very proud of in our past. Years ago, before I came to Florida, my wife and I got to go to the moon reunion. <laughs> a whole lot of moons were there, but I got to feel, realize I was related to a whole lot of people. Going back to the Civil War, going back to the Revolutionary War, there were some preachers and some people that were not so like preachers in my lineage. And so it is with you. All of us are here for a purpose and a reason, sometimes through wicked means, sometimes through righteous means, but we're all here. This would be, of course, very controversial to people who would say, the line, the lineage of Jesus Christ has to be perfect. Every person in his lineage would have to be perfect, but not so. Because by the grace of God, if it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us would be here this morning, would we? If it was up to our own works, it was up to our own will, 
It was up to our own mechanics. It was up to our own desires. Would we be here on church on Sunday morning, Christmas Eve, 2023? Well, to add to that controversial background, there's some other pictures of grace that's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Look back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says, And Judas begot Perez and Zerah of Thamar. Actually, her name is Tamar. Genesis chapter 38. Judah, one of the children of Jacob, is trying to have some grandchildren. Amen for the grandchildren. Amen. And one of his sons tries to have a child by this woman, Tamar, and the, and the husband dies. She marries again. Tamar marries again, and the husband dies. So what does she decide to do? She decides to dress up like a harlot, like a prostitute, and meet Judah on some dark place. And, of course, they have a union and from that union is produced Pharaz and Zerah, which is the lineage of Jesus Christ. You mean to say, preaching the lineage of Jesus Christ, you got someone who became a prostitute? Yeah. Yeah. How about Rahab? Rahab is called the... Nobody wants to say it. She's called the harlot. Remember Joshua? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho. It's not Christmas, I'm sorry. Remember, he was getting ready to go across the River Jordan, and he did. And the first major city which he was going to battle was, and he did two things before, he, before the Lord destroyed the city. He sent in two. Come on, guys, it's morning. I know you had your coffee. You can do it. Two spies, right? And the spies went out through the land, and they were almost captured. But before they were captured, someone let them, let them into her house. And her name was Rahab, the harlot. She let them in, and she hid them, and she lied for them. Because the people came. They were going to destroy these two spies. Naturally, they would. And she talks about, if you read there in, in the book of Joshua, she'd heard about these people, God's people, the Israelites, and how great they were, and how great were their God. And she began to fear them and, and respect them. And she hid them. And because she hid them, she made them promise, hey, when the city is destroyed, because she knew the Israelites were, because they, she knew their reputation. She said, would you, would you protect me and my family? Would you take care of us? Would you provide for us after the, destru the destruction of Jericho? And they did. These two spies went back to Joshua, told him exactly what happened, and Rahab and her family survived. And she married a man, look at verse 5, by the name of Salmon. And Salmon begat Boo, B-O-O-Z, which is Boaz of Rechab, which is Rachel. And Boaz begat Abed of Ruth. And Abed begat Jesse. Interesting enough, Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab. But who did Boaz marry? 
You remember who Boaz married? He married a woman by the name of Ruth. Now, who was Ruth? Was she a perfect, wonderful woman from a great history and lineage of the Jewish people? She was a Moabitess. Do you remember the history of the Moabites? Not too good. It was from an ancestral relationship between Jacob and his daughters. Not very good. Not very good at all. But these Moabite people that eventually populated the land, this woman named Ruth was there. And these disobedient people who were from Bethlehem came and dwelt in the land of Moab, fleeing a famine. They came and they dwelt in that land. And one of the daughters which the family married into was named Ruth. Remember, Ruth's husband died, and her brother-in-law died, and her other brother-in-law died, and her father died, and all was left was, was Ruth and her sister-in-law and her mom named Naomi. And what did they decide to do? Instead of staying in that land of Moabites, they went back to the house of bread named the city of Bethlehem, the house of bread. And there God provided for them specifically through a man by the name of Boaz. Tamar, Gentile. Ruth, Gentile. Think about it. Also, this woman named David's wife, Bathsheba. Think about it. Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Doesn't even mention her name. Remember David going on that rooftop one night when he was supposed to be with his army? Instead of going there with his army, he was there, and he looked off from his rooftop and saw a woman bathing, and her name was Bathsheba. Instead of turning away and getting a cold shower, which he should have done, he didn't. And he said to his servants, Go get me that woman. And the servant said, that's the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. But it didn't matter to David the king, for whatever the, David said, whatever the king said, do. He did. And he brought back Bathsheba. And it wasn't very long that the word came back to the king that, the that they would have a child. And a year later, Nathan the prophet told David, you are the man who has sinned. And the child from your union with Bathsheba would die. But the horrible consequences. But not too much longer, about nine months later or so, another child would be born. And his name would be Solomon. Solomon. Through Bathsheba, through Tamar, through Ruth, oh, through these, all these women, God produced ultimately the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Of Tamar, she acted like a, a prostitute. Of Rahab, who was a harlot. Through Ruth, who had Moabite, through Moabitess, through Bathsheba, a Gentile. Adulterous relationship with David. Through that lineage comes Jesus Christ? Yes! Through that lineage came Jesus Christ. How? I tell you how. By the grace of God. Because, dear friend, the reality is we're all sinners here. Amen? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not one person in this room is saved because of your lineage. 
No matter how good your father is or your great father or your, your uncle or your, or your aunt or whoever, whoever is in your genealogy, you're not saved by the goodness of your past people, by your ancestry. Every person who trusts Jesus Christ has to trust Jesus Christ on their own. That's why we say every person needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I used to think when I was a child that because my parents were good Baptists and I thought I was a good Baptist that somehow, some way I'd get to heaven. I thought, man, 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 but because I go to church on Christmas and Easter and a few other times that I would somehow get to heaven. I thought just like I got barely past first grade, as my teacher said, by the skim of your teeth, and I remember those words so well, I would get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. I thought if I was just good enough, if I could just pray enough, if I was just obedient enough. But dear friend, the, the, the fastest way to hell is through religion. Religion is a man on his own trying to get to heaven. And if you'd asked me at 17 years of age, before April the 15th, 1989, I'd have told you, if you'd have asked me, are you going to go to heaven, I'd said yes, but my answer would have been based on the fact that I believed I could get there on my own by my own works, by my own trust in myself. But dear friend, no one gets to heaven by their works. No one gets to heaven by their genealogy. No one gets to heaven by their bloodline. We only get to heaven by the grace of God. I wonder this morning, have you received the grace of God? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone? Are you thinking somehow, some way, you're going to make it to heaven because you've been baptized or maybe you joined the Baptist church or maybe you gave a tithe or some offering or some lineage, your father or mother or, or some other grandmother is a good Christian and because they're Christians, you think you're somehow going to get there too? That's what the Jews believe even today, that because of their lineage going back to Abraham, that somehow they'll be in the kingdom of God, but they're wrong. They're sadly mistaken. You see, the Bible says, the Bible says that there's a book. It's called the book of life. And every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, their name is in that book. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But dear friend, once you're cast in a lake of fire, even God himself can't bring you out. Now I wonder today, is your name in that book? Is your name in that book? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? And maybe you're here today and say, Preacher, I am saved and I know Christ is my Savior. And my name is in that book. May I ask you, do you show grace and mercy and kindness to others around you? I read a very interesting story just, just last night. Two days before Christmas, 1983, Tommy Page left a party drunk. After leaving the Mini Mark in Hopskinville, Kentucky, he blacked out and hit an 18-year-old young man by the name of Ted Morris and killed him instantly. Naturally, Ted's parents, Frank and Elizabeth Morris, were very resentful towards Tommy for killing their son. 
He got 10 years. 10 years for killing their son. After five years, he was allowed out of prison, out of prison but he was required by the state to speak at a Mothers Against Drunk Driving event at the very high school where Ted Morris graduated. The mother attended. And after he spoke, she went up and she forgave Tommy Page. Her husband, Frank, was a part-time preacher and drove for UPS. He baptized Tommy. And they adopted them into their family. See, how in the world could they do that? Grace. 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 One of the greatest gifts you could ever receive is forgiveness. The forgiveness from God himself. But let me say to you, one of the greatest gifts you could ever give is forgiveness. Is forgiveness. Is there anyone in your life this Christmas you haven't given the gift of forgiveness? Are you still mad at that some so-and-so last year who didn't get you that gift that you wanted so bad? Or you didn't get a Christmas card from so-and-so and they said they would. Are you still harboring hurt from a dad or a mother or a husband or a wife or a friend? The greatest gift you and I can have as Christians is the gift of a clean conscience. Meaning, by the grace of God, there's not anyone in my life that could come to me and say, you've not tried to seek restoration. You see, a clear conscience gives you the greatest, one of the greatest gifts, a peace in your heart. If you can lay your head down on your pillow knowing by the grace of God you've tried to have a clear conscience with other people around you, that you've done all that you can to forgive them as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now think, what sin has Jesus Christ not forgiven you? Think how many times last year you were unfaithful in this area. Or maybe you bent the truth in that area. Or said you were going to do something, but you didn't. Or you're a little too mean, or a little too self-controlling, or you gossip too much, or tattle too much. All of us, if we were under the microscope this, this morning, could say we've sinned. But thank God if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you hold over anyone's head something they've done in the past? How about granting them something a whole lot better than an Amazon gift card? How about today contacting them and say, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you, sister. I forgive you, boss. I forgive you, friend. I forgive you. And they may say, why? And you can say, because I have been forgiven of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, His blood cleanses us from all sin. My dear friend, may I ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Romans 6.23, For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. More than any gift you'll ever received is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope you know Him. But if you don't, you've come to the right place. 
today during our invitation. It's the moment we're going to stand and we're going to sing an imitation hymn. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, or maybe you're not sure. Maybe when you were five or six or seven or ten, you prayed some type of prayer. But if you're sitting in your chair right now and you say, Preacher, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. You know what a good friend told me one time? That he said that to his mom, and his mom wisely said, If you're not sure you're saved, what about right now just asking Jesus to save you? Why even question it? If you have any doubt whatsoever in your heart and mind, why not right now, today, this morning, ask Jesus to save you so you personally can receive the gift of Jesus, of gift of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. You could pray and ask Christ to save you. If you're here today and you're saved and you've got some... some some anger, some hate, some unforgiveness that's not been settled, would you take care of it today? Before Christmas tomorrow, would you make that call? Would you text? Would you send a message? Would you get right with that son, that daughter, that friend, that mother, that, that cousin, that aunt, that uncle? Would you get right with them today and have a peaceful Christmas for the first time in maybe many years? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you have peace in your life because you've been forgiven and you've showed forgiveness to other people? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you, Father, you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins so we could have everlasting life. With head bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, if you're here this morning and say, Preacher, I was... One of the people that you mentioned that is doubting my salvation. I think I prayed something when I was five or seven. I went to a church service and I, I, I met the preacher or something happened, but I'm just not sure. But today, I'd like to be sure. But I'd like to know for sure today that I know Christ is my Savior. Dear friend, if that was you, of course, recognize the fact that you're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That There's none righteous, no, not one, as I mentioned. We can't get there on our own. That God, through Jesus Christ, has provided a perfect way of salvation. Jesus came to, not to be just born of a baby, but to die on that old, old cruel cross to shed his blood so you could have everlasting life. And if you'll place your faith and trust in him, repenting of your sin, recognizing you can't be saved on your own. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you, dear friend, would simply like to pray this prayer after me, called the sinner's prayer, not trusting in what I say, but trusting in Jesus Christ alone. You can be saved. Would you repeat this prayer? In the quietness of this moment, dear Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I repent of my sin and place my faith in Jesus Christ alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me your child. Now, by the grace of God, help me to live for you every day. With head bowed and eyes closed, how many of you would say by a word of testimony, Pastor Moon, I prayed that prayer, and I'm trusting Jesus Christ to save me right now. Would you raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Anyone else? I prayed that prayer of salvation. If you didn't pray that prayer, dear friend, it's not too late. I pray you ask Jesus to save you before it's too late. How many of you say, Preacher, there's some in my life, 
in my life right now that I'm struggling to forgive. But I know God has forgiven me. And by the grace of God, I need to forgive him or her right now. I'm struggling, but I know I need to. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this morning? For somebody I need to forgive. When you talked about forgiveness, the Holy Spirit brought that person back to my mind instantly. Maybe it's a mom. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a son or daughter. I'm struggling to forgive that person. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest? I see your hand, but God sees your heart. Let's stand this morning. If God has spoken to you about salvation, you're welcome to come and talk to Brother Travis. You're a man. If you're a woman, my wife would love to meet you and show you how you can be saved. If you have any questions about what was spoken about today, about salvation, about forgiveness, my wife and I will be here after church. We'd love to take the time to talk to you more about it. But as the invitation hymn is played, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, would you do business with God today? Would you simply obey Him? If you're not saved, would you come? Let us take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. If you're struggling with forgiveness, every time you think about that person, you get angry. You think about what they did. You think about what they said. You think about their harshness. Oh, dear friend, think about our sin. How many times have we failed Jesus? this past week more than we can number we all need forgiveness will you give the gift of forgiveness to another person today search your heart ask God to search your heart and see where your need is today thank you for the message that we've been given this morning Lord we just thank you for how we can read your word and understand it Lord we just thank you for the meaning behind it Lord we just thank you for uh, that royal blood that flows through Jesus veins Lord and how how he came to be a savior for us Lord he was a suffering savior and now uh, now that we've if we've accepted you as our personal Lord and Savior we have we have uh, that salvation blood flowing through our veins, Lord, and we just thank you for that opportunity and that grace and that mercy that you give us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for uh, the birth of Christ and all that that means for us, Lord. We just thank you for this uh, this time of year, Lord. Lord, we just pray that you uh, take us home safely this morning and bring us back safely at the next appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen.